And this is Chuck Wolf, and you're listening to the Emotion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you this week. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, this is Chuck. Uh, can I um, ask who you are, please? Yeah, my name is Rich. I'm calling from Brookhaven in Long Island. Hi, Rich. Thanks for the phone call. How can I help you today? Well, I have a couple of challenging questions for you. Sure. And uh, I think the second one, I have a feeling there may be just no answer for it and like that. But I think it's a little challenging and maybe a bit disturbing. So I figure it's, you know, a worthy thing to talk about. The first one, I think, will be probably pretty easy. Uh, I work on a high-pressure job. I've had the same job for 44 years. Well-paid and working with computers and high-tech and, you know, very... uh, Prominent customers like, uh, you know, Reuters and BBC and uh, hospitals, police departments and all of that stuff. And so I get, you know, call. I work for a high tech company and, you know, you have to troubleshoot stuff at all hours of the day and night and like that. Mm -hmm. So I work with a number of guys and um, the union I'm I'm in actually is quite, uh, you you might say it sounds strange, is powerful, actually. So I guess my take on a lot of the things in life is that um, I guess the workers produce the wealth and then the, say, the 1% is there to exploit the people who work. Now, that's maybe kind of an odd perspective, but I find that somehow comforting when it comes to dealing with some of the stresses of living in the corporate world. Um, but like you were saying on your introduction, that things are very uh, polarized nowadays and like that. And so everybody where I work, the good thing about it is there's an extreme attitude of irreverence. In other words, like we will make jokes about everything and everybody, um, you know, and kind of let off steam and like that. And regardless of people's political orientation, we do that. I guess we've developed that over the decades as something of necessity. And that, that definitely works. But as far as politically, sometimes what my weakness, I guess, is being on the sort of Bernie Sanders political left, you might say, um, I allow my buttons to be pushed. And sometimes with no bosses around and like that, but you get into I wouldn't quite say it's an argument, but like a conversation is really not going to lead anywhere because people's perspectives are kind of hardened into reinforced concrete and like that. And, and, you know, I try to say, well, we're all pink on the inside and listening is a lot better than accusing. And, you know, a lot of the division in this country is set up by big shots who figure if I can divide the poor people, I can screw the uh, people on the left and people on the right to my advantage and all that stuff. So, but I, I guess I fall into it, you know, like the other day, some of the guys were talking and they were kind of, uh, you know, quoting like what Donald Trump said, which is that if the Democrats win an election, it's fixed. If the Republicans win any election, it's legitimate. <laughs> now, that sort of thing is, and they, and these guys are college educated, family orientated, model citizens and all that stuff, and they really believe it. So I looked into a little bit, and per Gallup polls, 40% of the American public believes that. And I find that terrifying because that sort of sets up a situation like in, and I hope I'm not being alarmist, like in Nazi Germany, where you had people, you know, just blindly following a leader because they're fearful or they're scared or something like that. So you try to talk about that in a reasonable way, and you absolutely don't get anywhere. 
So I guess what I'm asking you is how do I develop the strength, the moxie, or whatever it is, to when people talk about things like that, just to ignore that and either steer the conversation onto baseball or weather or, you know, what they're doing with their uh, son who's on the hockey team or whatever, and, and not get into stuff that's just going down a rabbit hole while at the same time my conscience is saying to me, you know, is this Weimar Germany in 1929? So I think uh, let me let me, try, let me try and answer it in a, in, a, in a general way. First of all, yeah. So yeah. I I actually had somebody on the air asking me um, a sort of a similar question. It wasn't quite framed the same way as what you just said, but but uh, the way the way he framed it was um, he said you know there are these toxic discussions that take place in the workplace that I'm in, and I li- I really like the guys I'm work with. I really like the job that I have, and so but I, every once in a while I I get caught and get in and I engage in it, and I don't see it the same way as as many of the others do and it just never it never goes anywhere good you know so that's one issue and and i said well okay so let me give you some perspective on that so and i'll do the same for you so one of the ways i think about this is um and this is really it's interesting because i was just talking with a friend of mine this morning about this um years ago uh, i heard somebody who's a comedian say something that just has stuck with me and it's great advice for for this but other situations as well the fellow's name is craig ferguson he's a scottish guy and he's been in america for a number of years he's had a number of late night shows and other talk shows and he hosted a, a recently a game show of some kind. But anyway, what he said was, he said there's this, there's a couple of things I think are really important anytime you're dealing in what could be a volatile discussion of some kind, you know, mm-hmm. where it could, could erupt into a problem, you know, escalate in some way. He right. said, the first thing I, I ask myself is, um, does this really need to be said? In other words, what he's thinking about saying. And, mm-hmm. and, this, and the second thing he says, does it need to be said by me? Hmm. And the th- and the third question is, does it need to be said by me now? Oh boy, let me write that down. <laughs> that is that is good. Okay, does it need to be said? Need to be said by me? Does it need to be said now? Okay, by, what was by, the other one? By, by, does it need to be said by me now? Ah, does it need to be said now? <laughs> Does it need to be said by me now? Oh, that is that is, that's brilliant. And, and then he ended it by saying, "It took me three marriages to learn that." <laughs> <laughs> okay. And well, now, so, actually, so, so this isn't just about politics, but but part of part of what I, I wanted to share with you is that I think if you as soon as you start asking yourself those questions, you, mm-hmm. you know you probably shouldn't be saying something. And one of the way one of the ways I kind of frame this for myself, and I'm usually pretty good about it. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, somebody says something I just feel like I need to, and if I catch myself, I'll ask those three questions, and I don't say it. I hear you. Oh, that, that's absolutely brilliant. okay. That nailed the first one. Okay, the <laughs> second one. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any answer to it. I just think it's it's the circumstances of modern life. But I, I just find it the circumstances troubling. Okay, we live in a let's say a, a rare thing like a small town. And it's like a middle, middle class thing. It's not like rich people. It's not like poor people. It's actually, you know, middle, middle class people. And they have, I, I know I'm generalizing, but I think in this case it probably works. Most of the people, I think, in our area have a very um, American dream sort of thing. And, and I'm more for George Carlin saying, you believe in the American dream, you have to be asleep. But so, but but the point is, is that the, with the idea of 
whatever happens to you in life is 110% personal responsibility. It's on you, you know, and if you fail or if you're, you're poor and you turn for help and you have like, uh, you know, nonprofits or situations that say, you know, we can give you food for a week. And after that, you can't come back here for five years or something like that. And everything is time limited and like that. And, um, What's happened in our area over the past, I'd say, 10 years or so, is there's maybe been half a dozen occurrences of people who retired, and it was either a single person or uh, a couple or a married couple or a, you might say a bonded pair of people together and like that. But what what it boiled down to is they maybe got you know laid off from their job at 70 and they couldn't get another job and like that. And even with Social Security or whatever, they had maybe 70% of what it took to keep the wolf away from the door basically. And uh, within about a year or two and like that, things were kind of going south little by little, although the person would not say anything about it and kept up appearances very well. And then maybe two, three years down the road, they would kill themselves. And so, uh, you know, this now what was going on in their head? I don't know. Was it related to that? I have a feeling it was or that was a contributing thing to it. And these people were not stupid. You know, as far as planning, as far as I know, as far as, you know, planning things or whatever, or reaching out to people or organizations or whatever. But, um, you know, I just find it kind of distressing that that I guess the social safety net and the social uh, contract or whatever you want to call it is so frayed or non-existent that people would just shrug their shoulders when something like that happens and accept it as the new normal, whereas it bothers me. So um, it's a, I can sort of talk about what happens to people and why they might do that. Um, is there a question you're asking about this? Though you said it's a question, I'm not sure. It's a, it's just well, sort of bas- go ahead. Yeah, ba- ba- basically, I guess it, uh, the the question I have is that you know I, I'm I'm not sure that in their circumstances maybe that was the most rational decision they could make, but I as far as I can tell. It, it, things didn't quite used to be like that, that, you know, more people had enough to live in their declining years. I'm not saying every single person, but it was like, especially in the middle, middle class and like that, um, you know, and to see that as kind of a solution. And again, I, I you know, I don't, I'm not inside that person's head. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm speculating a certain amount, but I bet if it happens in, in our community, I bet it's happening elsewhere too, sure. you know? And, and I just think it's kind of sad and, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I guess, I guess as a community, I don't know what you can do, you know what I mean? Or, or maybe you can't do anything about it. Maybe it, that's just the way things are. Well, I think there are organizations that try to do something about it, but I, I think you, you, you said a couple of things and I want to tie them together. I think mm-hmm. one, you said that personal responsibility is, you know, Carlin and our others have also said this, that, you know, a lot of what happens to us in life really is about what we, what we do. I mean, I, I also want to add, my brother always says this to me, you know, it's better to be lucky in life than anything else. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think there's a little bit of that in there. It isn't just personal responsibility. Some people just seem to have the, just the worst things happen to them. <laughs> 
But again, but having said that, I think it has a lot to do with the attitudes that we grow up with, and also in in the. This, there's been a lot of research on happiness in, in recent years, and I think the way we define happiness is really interesting because I, I just had an uncle pass away, and he didn't have much. You know, when you mm-hmm. say, they, you know, the, these people that only have a certain amount of, they don't have the same standard of living, perhaps, that they've had because they didn't necessarily save or whatever's going on financially mm-hmm. from. But oh, maybe they couldn't, yeah. Well, but yeah. My, my uncle never, that never mattered to him. Yeah, I mean, so and he was actually he taught me so much about life. He was one of the the guys that that would call on my birthday. He was my only uncle that ever called me every birthday that I had on a certain holidays. And he was somebody who just I just adored the man. And mm-hmm. and he had such a, a sort of joie de vivre, if you will, uh, just a, an attitude towards everyone in life that he that he met. And he just was how you know who are you? How can I help you? And even mm-hmm. though I don't have much, whatever I got, I'm going to try and help you with it. And and so many people feel like I don't have enough. Yeah. So I think part of this is not just personal responsibility, but the attitude you bring with you. I, I, apropos of that, I remember when I was a kid, my, my dad was a mechanic for Eastern Airlines, and he would get a pass, and he would take the family, like, up to Montreal for a day. And we'd take the Gray Line bus around Montreal and see that, and then go to a sidewalk cafe like you would have in France. And they would be all up and down the street and like that. And I'll never forget it. One day, the my dad was kind of, he, he could speak a number of languages, so he would, um, he was listening. He couldn't help but hear about another conversation. So I must have been about 12 or 13 or something. And he seemed interested in that. We're sitting there having a Perrier wine or, or uh, I mean, not me, a Perrier wine, but like a glass of water or whatever. But it was just amazing seeing people on the street, no waiters bothering them, sit down, and just the whole community out there talking about all sorts of things. And so I said, well, well what did you hear? And he said, well, I heard that this fellow died, and he must have been around 51. But the thing was, without being irresponsible, it sounded like the people were saying he enjoyed every minute of it. Like he ate a lot of interesting things. He did a lot of interesting music. He did a lot of this. He did a lot of that. So he really lived life to the hilt. So, and then they were talking about this other person who lived to about 97 and they always ate healthy and they always went to the doctor on time and they were always in plenty of time whenever they were catching a plane and like that and they always obeyed every law and like that. And then one of the persons commented, she said, well, if you obey all the rules, you miss out on all the fun. And so, but their point was, and then they were saying about the person who lived to 97 and the people said, uh, oh, how sad. Whereas the person who was 51 and like that, they said, wow, that person had a great life. So maybe that was the Gallic or the French approach to it. But I thought that kind of ties into what you're saying. Yeah, it does. It's more about what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I couldn't help but think. Uh, well, one time I had this this thought about you know, the Mayfly, I think it is. Um, you know, it has like a tw- 24-hour life cycle. You know, they're born, they have sex all day long, and then they die. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, you know, part of me is just kind of in, in some ways is what do you do with your life? And let me say this to you too, Richard. One of the yeah. things I'm thinking about is you. when you first talked about who you are, you said you talked very, very um, – 
you're a strong advocate for what you do. I think you really enjoy it. you got this group of people you really enjoy, you have fun with. Every once in a while, it goes off the rails because you've got a Bernie Sanders approach and not everybody's on board with that. But, yeah. but mostly, I think, you, you want to think, too, when you're not there, what's there for you? I mean, part of this is like for people that love what they do and really enjoy where they've been and you take a lot of pride in it when it's over. And that's what I think it isn't always about the money. I think when people you know, decide not, they don't want to go on anymore is they don't right. feel there's a purpose. Right. So I think it's really critical for people. I mean, for me, I, you know, basically I, I could have retired a number of years ago. I yeah. do this radio show as a volunteer because I, I'm good at it. I help people and I make a difference and it's purposeful for me. Right. I hear you. So I think you want to really be, and everybody's listening, to think about. So when the time comes for me to do something different, what, what does that look like? And what do I really envision for myself? What, what is the best version of me when I'm not here? Well, the, thing, the, the two things I'm thinking of, like with my wife and like that, one, when I retire, one is to learn a foreign language, like maybe where you would go with a group of people and when you know enough, like you have to speak that language, you know. You go out for dinner, and you, you, that that that's one thing. And then the other thing is to give back a little bit, like you know, helping a kid with their homework in the library or something like that. Something like that, you know. Well, I I think both of those could be worthwhile. And yeah. maybe something else. I mean, I think you want to have several things. And I think if you plug into a group, what I've, I, you know, one of the, you know, I, I'm very active actually in politics and I work um, to try to bring people together. And also, I'll leave you with one other, well, other thing, by the way, because uh -huh. of the earlier part of your conversation. Um, there's a group called Braver Angels. Okay. That's gr okay. Uh, has, oh. has grown enormously over the last number of years. And right. wh what they do is, it was, it's really interesting, it was based on a, a marital relationships counselor uh -huh. who had this vision of people in marriage often have problems, but if I can find ways for them to talk to each other, Maybe I can save the marriages. Well, he's trying to save the country in this in this sense because people who are in what he, what he calls a, a red mindset versus a blue mindset, mm -hmm. you know, and it, wherever you are in that dynamic, it doesn't you, can, you don't have to be far left and far right. You can be just left or middle left or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He said, "How do we talk to each other?" And they have mm -hmm. ongoing workshops. They call them red and blue workshops, and mm -hmm. they bring people together who, at the end of these conversations, find real great, real common ground even mm -hmm. though they thought there was no chance for that going into it. So mm -hmm. it's another thing that maybe if you, if you have some interest in that, you may want to explore. Okay. Yeah, I'd look, I looked them up. Um, so I, so I think that's, that's worth noting. And finally, I, just, uh, I think if you can find a number of things that you can plug in right away, even before you retire, so mm -hmm. you have a sense of, you know, I mean, uh, if, if you want to learn a foreign language, that sounds great. But I, I found that I've, I've known a few people that wanted to do that, and then they got bored with it. It just didn't okay. work, you know, so, mm. I, so I, I and maybe that wouldn't be you, but I'm just suggesting pick a few things and try them before you leave. Right. So you get ah, something to plug great. into, you know. Interesting. Interesting. And that's really okay. for everybody, not just for you, just to think about. Well, some great food for thought. Thank you. Nice. To, thanks for the call. Take care and have a great holiday season. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now. Well, that was nice. Uh, you want to call in? You still got time. It's uh, I got midway through my show here. The show is uh, the Emotion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel. You're listening to the Chuck Wolf, and and um, I'm on the air on Wednesdays on WPKN 89.5 FM. According to the New Yorker, we're the best radio station in the world. So, <laughs> what a wonderful article that was this past summer. Just. Uh, um, 
kudos, kudos to all those people around me that make this station so great, and to all the volunteers who did so much work to get this station up and running. What a, what a major, major effort it's been, and how, how beautiful this place is. Hope you get a chance to come down and see it someday. Um, anyway, so the show is The Emotion Roadmap. Take the wheel and control how you feel. The number to call is 203-336-9756. I'm Chuck Wolf. The number again is 203-336-9756. And I've got my next caller. Hi, this is Chuck. You're on the air. Who am I talking to, please? Chuck, it's Frank. I live in New Haven. Thanks. And I'm a, a faithful listener and supporter of PKN. And I, I appreciate your show. I've heard... Uh, uh, only tripped across it a number of times because up until recently, uh, I worked full time, and I'm 72 now, mm-hmm. and I uh, finally, after two years of uh, suggesting that I was overworked and wanted to go at least part time to my uh, my boss, uh, who is a professor. Uh, I finally kind of put my foot down and said, okay, now I'm going to do it. Uh, Worked incredibly hard over the uh, pandemic in the lab. And, uh, you know, uh, I kind of forced the issue finally. So I'm now part-time and I've worked my entire life. In fact, starting at age 16, uh, when I started to work in research labs uh, while I was still in high school. And um, I can't tell you the emotional relief that I felt the first day when I was able to go out and uh, take a bike ride uh, by myself and not have to worry about my work uh, load. And uh, now uh, we've hired a replacement to take over most of my uh, my other duties, and uh, I'm basically a consultant uh, while the uh, new person learns the the, the trade, essentially. Well, Frank, so, let, Frank um, let me stop you just for a second. I just want to say I've got another call. I was trying to call in. I just want to say I'm here by myself. So, so uh, I, I, anybody who's calling in and don't get an answer, I apologize. I just can't answer the phone when I'm talking to somebody. Appreciate it. Anyway, Frank, rate, Frank, Frank uh, thank you for calling in. You sound like you've made a choice and it feels really good to you. Yes, it feels really good to me. I must say I had great hesitancy about worrying about uh not having enough to do. I'm kind of a Mr. Fix-It, and I have my uh, fingers in a number of, you know, minor and uh, not tradesman-like repairs, but, you know, stuff I keep occupied with. But I also like to watch birds. I also ride a a bicycle, a road bike, a fairly long distance with a friend whom I'm still in contact with, uh, uh, who lives along the Connecticut River. So I'm enjoying my life as so far as it goes, and I hope to retire soon first. But um, I guess my wife is in the same position. She's just two, three years younger than me. She works in the school system in an incredibly uh, demanding environment. She's a specialist, uh, speech and language pathologist. 
And um, she feels, as a city girl, she feels like there won't be anything to do. She's certainly not a housewife type uh, a person and, you know, doesn't want anything to do with housekeeping, which is okay with me because I'm the housekeeper here. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to convince her that, well, life is short <laughs> and I can't seem to do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. So she's in a different place than you emotionally around the workspace, because when she gives up, what has she got? She's wondering. Yes, yes. And, and, and also, as a woman, she knows that, you know, at her age, once she lets go, uh, she might not have anything. Uh, in other words, she might not be able to gain uh, employment. And fortunately for me, you know, I've managed to save up uh, you know, a, a, a good, goodly sum such that we're, we're never in need of work again. And, uh, and yet she still feels obligated to continue to work just so she has spending money as if, <laughs> as if the money that I've saved, uh, which is, you know, hers also, uh, can't be touched. And, you know, we've, the emotional, uh, uh baggage around, shared wealth uh, in in a uh, middle-class setting, especially for one who was brought up by parents who suffered uh, the uh, Great Depression of 1929, uh, is uh, quite a challenge. Yes, it is. So you've got a couple of things going on. One is your, you found relief, in, but also, Frank, you're still working part-time. Are you going to continue that for a while, or is that going to be over um, pretty soon? Uh, you know, I, it's an option. I, I am uh, working at my pleasure and the pleasure of my professor who said I may stay as long as necessary. So you've, you've sort of had... Um, a really kind of gifted way of, you know, kind of. I, I am incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. So, and she doesn't necessarily have like a part-time role that she could play and stay engaged in case she wanted to dip her feet back in full-time. I mean, I don't, you know, at 69, there are people that are working, that, that work until they, you know, until it's over. And they just, they yeah. love their work so much. The other side of it is my, my, I have a daughter in, in special education and, um, in yes. schools today are there. I mean, they're one of the most challenging workplaces of all, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not be able to do it. Not at all. So it's, it's, a, it's emotionally challenged, technically challenged yep. and basically completely underfunded. So here's the here's the here's how this. Let me just talk to you a little bit about this idea of an emotion roadmap and how it might be helpful to you with what's going on. I think you want yeah. to understand how she's feeling about what's going on in the workplace for her and how it yeah. and how it it probably frightens her to think. And I think she you know, she can say, "I want to have my own pocket money that I know that I'm earning, not take yours." And and that's uh, but that's more to me an excuse, not a real issue. I see. No, no, I'm mm -hmm. not saying I'm not saying I'm right about that, but it just in, in oh, general. No, but it, it's possible. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In general, that's often it's often just a reason why I don't want to let go of because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to let go in terms of where what's going to happen. I can't get back in. And, you know, yeah. at 69, if something happens to you or and we don't have, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's all and it's it's very scary for a lot of people on a lot of levels. And so somehow the do you think I'm right about that? Uh, it, it's, it's a possibility. She's a very anxious person. And, uh, this 
may be uh, and she she's basically worked her a lot of her stuff out in therapy and whatnot but I, I think this particular subject is not something she's revisited lately and uh you know uh it it, it sounds like it has some ring of truth so then if, if if that feels like it's a possibility and she's generally anxious anyway, then this is anxiety, uh, you know, to the maximum with the idea of I'm letting go of the life that I know that I might not like all the time or even like a lot <laughs> these days. But right. it's the life right. that I know. It's the life I'm yes. comfortable with. It's the life that I'm... As, as opposed to right? the life of tedium at, at home, not having anything to do. Well, <laughs> it's the way t- she looks at it. I, I think, no, I, but that's the way she looks at it. Yeah, <laughs> and it, I think it's 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 also, when you say tedium, it's like it doesn't have the same purpose. Right. Right. It's, it's not yes. that I You're she not wouldn't giving. find things yes. to enjoy. She might enjoy watching TV, reading a book, going for a walk. I mean, there's lots of things that she yeah. might enjoy, but it doesn't feel like it has a purpose. Yes. Yeah. And, and I wrestled with that, too. I mean, how can I give? I'm not a great teacher. I don't have much patience, um, although I I could, you know, um, you know, I could volunteer with some public service group or other. I haven't quite found which would be something suitable for me. But I mean, she could also do something like this. I mean, she does, you know, exercise and uh, meet with friends and etc. But uh, she worries that that's not enough. So I'm, I'm really focused on her more than me because I think I can make two. But so, uh, so let me it, let me ask you: What do you think you'd like to, for her to feel? about being retired and being home with you? I'd like her to feel like it's okay and she uh, can just relax and enjoy herself. I guess maybe part of the issue is I'm not essentially, I I come from more or less the same upbringing and and, uh, uh, am a little anxious myself and you know life in a uh, a confined space is something that you know i mean every day uh life is uh, has its challenges too and maybe you know she doesn't really uh you know want to commit to that all the way i mean we've been married for 18 years now so okay. <laughs> That's not the issue. Okay, so then, so you sort of have a feeling of you want her to feel relaxed and that she can enjoy herself and and yeah. uh, and obviously yeah. somewhat comfortable, but and meaning less anxious. Yes, anxious. Uh, anxiety is the key, and you know, uh, uh, I think that that's at the root of most of her issues about letting go. Well, what do you think, because this is the next step in the process, is what do you think would make her feel more comfortable at home and less anxious? I mean, you can say relax and enjoy, but that does, mm-hmm. that's, that's not fulfilling enough, I don't think, for her right now. And so the anxiety mm-hmm. is still be creeping in because what am I really doing here now, you know? I'm just sitting here and I've read a book now and I've read two books and I've watched a oh, show yeah. and, and now I'm wondering what do I do with the rest of my time? There's a lot of time left and that's the anxiety creeping back in, right? Right. And and what do I think about it? Well, uh, I don't know what to think about it. 
not. Well, what do you think would help her to feel less anxious if she really was retired? Any idea? Uh, well, only my continued reassurance that it'll be all right. And we know we can go on day trips and, and you know, enjoy our new dog, et cetera, et cetera. So it's more about what you might do for her, but what can she do for herself that she, in other words, she's then dependent on you. What happens if you, I mean, you know, it's 70 years old, who knows how long. Oh, yeah, yeah, done, right? no, and, and, and I allude to that, that, you know, she'll outlive me and she knows that too. But um, So what can she do for herself, do you think, that's going to make her feel okay no matter what happens? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the puzzle. That is the puzzle, and I don't have insight. Can I get, can I offer you something that might, sure. might be helpful? So sure. I think it's I think it's tough to talk to somebody like your wife in the situation you've described about leaving yeah. anytime soon. And I yeah. know that you want it to be soon because you're retired now, and you we may, how, who knows how many years we have together. So you'd like to Indeed. spend them together. I mean, really together, not her just coming home late at night with stuff to do and things that she's upset about from the day. And yep. you'd like it yep. to be better than that. So, uh, but if you ask her, hey, can you retire soon? And that just raises the anxiety level. So yeah. if, instead of that, what if you ask her, hey, I don't know when, but at some point, let's say five years from now, he'd probably be retired then. What would you like to be doing? In other words, give her the space to think. I don't okay, have to do so this frame, right now. frame it so that she envisages some or offers some some. Uh, alternatives. Some vision for herself. In other words, at five years yeah. from now, hey, let's start talking about, you know, I don't know when it's going to be. I, I know you want to keep working and I'm okay with okay, that. So but, no but pressure. The, yeah. yeah, that's the idea. And then if she yeah. allows herself to start to explore what might work and, and hopefully over, and this isn't going to happen in a day or a week, it'll take months, but over several mm -hmm. months of conversations about that and just kind of looking forward to it, it'll build a case for her that she doesn't really need to keep going and I don't mean that you'll retire at the end of this year but maybe it's a maybe it's the following year because all of a sudden she starts to get excited about this vision that she felt no pressure to create but you know uh -huh. words, you see yeah. how it might bring her forward I, I see that yes yeah that's great that's very helpful I'll uh, I'll I'll work on that and I'll work on it in a very laid-back manner yeah, and one of the things that you might ask her is, and, and what can I do to help make this great for you when you come home? Is there anything I can do to be supportive? Because that's going to help her feel more confident, too, that, you know, she really can trust you to help make this right, whatever happens going forward. Yes, yes, I hear that. I hear that loud and clear. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for your uh, insightful program, and I look forward to hearing more of your programs. Thanks a lot for calling, Frank. Good luck with it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Have a great holiday season. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Well, that was nice. That was that was the second show, and uh, two two really good calls. I hope everybody got some insight again about how this emotion roadmap works. You really want to focus on the feelings that are in play, and that helps you to create options that just aren't really possible without them. And then there's some techniques when you're looking for some specific specificity. I love that Craig Ferguson advice. I've given it several times on the radio show. Um, uh, if you didn't if you didn't happen to hear that, that was. Uh, 
just when you're worried about any conversation, politics being one of them. But when you get back together with your family members, which is coming up for Christmas holidays, and I wish everybody a wonderful holiday season, whatever holidays you're celebrating, um, remember that certain topics that are not, not that you can't talk about them, but one of the ways you can talk about topics that maybe you are on the other side of an issue of whoever it is that you love that you're talking to who has a different opinion, just really listen hard. Try to understand their perspective without being judgmental. I know it's hard, but that's one thing. The other is if you feel like you need to say something because you want to enter the fray and you just feel the need to want to jump in and say what you think is right, ask yourself these questions by Craig Ferguson. One, does this need to be said? Two, does it need to be said by me? Three, does it need to be said by me now? And if chances are you're going to answer no to at least one of those questions, then don't say it. If you're not going to really change anybody's mind and it's just going to be an up and down, uh, upsetting uh, conversation, don't bother. Enjoy the people you love. Be compassionate with them. Be understanding. Don't be judgmental. Just enjoy and be thankful for the things in your life that you can take great care and, and pride in. And, and, and one of the questions that Rich asked about earlier was, you know, you know, what if you don't have enough? You know, it's really funny about what it means to have enough. And one of the things I'll tell you is my Uncle Hack, Haskell Hannock, he taught me that enough is really what's in your head. We almost always have enough. Maybe it's not as much as we'd like, but it's enough. And I hope that's enough for you. And I leave you with that. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. And thanks for listening.